1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 through 11. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but he who has many children is forlorn. Verse 6, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings back to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Verse 9, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might Shall a man prevail? The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Please bow with me as we pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you for today. I thank you so much, and and in thanksgiving, we lift our hearts to you. Father, we thank you that you are the one that conquered death, that your son, Jesus Christ, has been raised for us. Father, we thank you that there is no rock like our God, that you are the first and the, the last, the Alpha and the Omega, that you are the one that brings to completion everything, every good work that you begin in us, Father. We thank you for what you did in the life of Hannah, Father, and we thank you that you brought her a son, Samuel, and that even though she had lost all hope, that she felt that she had been ridiculed by um, uh, her husband's other wife, um, that uh, even in the ridicule, Father, that uh, she stood strong in her faith in you, Father. Lord God, we thank you that you are the healer of the brokenhearted, that you lift the heads of the weary. Father, we thank you that um, that you are a God of knowledge, that there is none holy like the Lord, Father, that you are holy and you're so good, but not only are you holy, but you looked down from heaven and you had mercy on us who are sinners. So, Father, I thank you for this. Um, I thank you for this day. I thank you so much for this body of believers, Father. I pray that um, as Brant comes and speaks to us, that you would uh, fill him with your spirit and that you would speak your power through him. Thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. It is my understanding that kinesiologists or even physical therapists, uh, those who study the mechanics of the, the movement of the body, are, have to be very skilled in what they do. They must take detailed and precise notes as they observe their patients, watching how they're moving, and then after some time gathering all the data regarding the patient's medical and physical past, 
as well as drawing from their extensive knowledge of the human anatomy, they must prescribe a regimen of physical activities that will address an underlying, unobservable, and internal physical malady. So I think. Maybe you could fill in a different doctor there. In the same way, I want to begin this morning asking you and myself a few heart-probing questions. I want to ask these questions because I want to draw out and identify the underlying motivating desires of our hearts. So, what comes to mind when you think of joy? Perhaps some of you thought of your spouse or Maybe that social supper that's coming up that we're all going to eat or the fellowship that you experience here. And those are all good things. They're blood-bought for you. Now let me ask you this. What are you praying most for? What subject occupies your prayer life the most? So now that we've perhaps identified some desires and joys of our hearts this morning... And before we get into our text, let me pose to you just one more question to think on. Who or what is the supreme ruling desire of your heart? Well, with that, let's begin. My main argument from the text that Mark read us this morning is this. God delights in using the poor in spirit to abase the proud to magnify his power, and to demonstrate his faithfulness in the fulfillment of his promises for his glory and our greatest good. So let me repeat that. God delights in using the poor in spirits to abase the proud in order to magnify his power and to demonstrate his faithfulness in the fulfillment of his promises for his glory and our greatest good. So I've titled this first point, What is Prayer? Look with me at the text. The beginning of verse 2 reads, And Hannah prayed. So let's go ahead and set the scene. This account takes place in the time right before the establishment of Israel's monarchy. Israel at this point has come out of the conquest of the promised land and is being governed by judges. Hannah, the subject of our text, is the dearly loved wife of Elkanah. A devout man and a Levite. However, the Lord has closed Hannah's womb and she is not able to have children. And one can assume that Elkanah sinfully marries another woman, Penina, in order to have children. Penina, who's able to have children, provokes Hannah grievously to the point where Hannah would not eat and would weep bitterly. It's in this moment of affliction that Hannah prays to God in the temple of the Lord asking him for a son, vowing to give him wholly to the service of the Lord. The Lord hears her prayer. He miraculously heals her womb and grants her a son, Samuel, as it turns out, the final judge of Israel. Hannah makes good on her vow, and he is presented to Eli, the high priest, for service to the Lord, where then Hannah rejoices in this new prayer, which is our text for this morning. It's important to note that The text Mark read for us is a song that's birthed out of a woman enduring a horrific trial. You can imagine the song next to one of David's songs of deliverance in the Psalms. The song is Hannah's response to God's faithfulness and kindness in granting her a son. 
She is worshiping God through prayer. So what is prayer? Prayer put simply is the primary conduit through that which that God has ordained for his people to commune with him and to petition him. Well, prayer seeks the manifestation of his glory in all things. And it demonstrates our total inability and our complete and utter reliance on God's loving omnipotence. Prayer is grounded in truth and it's not some sort of mystical experience. It's informed by scripture. It's filled with scripture. You want to fill your minds with truth while you pray. And prayer is the worship of the one true God. And we see that in Hannah's song. So let's get, go ahead and get into our text. I've titled the second point, Rejoicing in the Holy, Immovable, All-Knowing God of Our Salvation. Listen to how Hannah begins in verse 1. My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord, Yahweh. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. My heart is overflowing with joy in the Lord, she says. Notice that she does not say, my heart exults in my child. Or my heart exults in this amazing provision. No, the source of her abundant joy is God himself, Yahweh. Jesus says in Luke 6.45 that out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart. Hannah begins her song exclaiming the joy she has in God, thus indicating where her true joy is. So we can learn a valuable lesson from Hannah here. Our spiritual life can be thought of like a plant or, or like a tree. King David in Psalm 52, 8 says that he is like a green olive tree in the house of God because he trusts in the steadfast and everlasting love of God. He flourishes because he is in the presence of God. David also in Psalm 16 says that in God's presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand there's pleasures forevermore. So if you don't regularly water a tree, it's going to wither and bear no fruit. In the same way, if you don't regularly absorb the word of God, if you don't plant yourself in the gospel, if you don't commune with God through prayer, you will wither and you'll bear no fruit. A diet consisting of small and earthly and transient things will wither and shrink our hearts. But being refreshed and regularly taking in large, eternal, everlasting truths will bring forth abundant fruit in our lives and will give us joy. But how do we do this? Thankfully, we can take advantage of the opportunities here at FCF. We grow in our love for God and others through gathering together on the Lord's Day like we're doing now. Participating in the Lord's Supper and observing baptism. Attending Bible studies, meeting with one another. And it could be even as practical as just identifying even the good things in your life that but take up some time and maybe removing them and making them more word-centered so you can focus on God. Look with me in verses 2 through 3 now. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. So let's look together at the attributes of God listed here. 
The God of the Bible is holy, meaning that he is separate from us and is entirely other. He is incomparable and he is utterly unique. We see also that God is described as a rock. He is immovable and unshakable, as Mark has said. King David sings of God in Psalm 18, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Because God is unshakable, nothing will move him and nothing will confound his plans or break his promises. His promise to you, believer, will never fail or fall. You, you who are in Christ, you have eternal life. Because he is our rock. It's founded on him. Further, Hannah admonishes the proud and arrogant to silence themselves. Because the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. Proverbs 16.2 declares, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So we see that God is holy, immovable, and all-knowing. And my unbelieving friend, this is fearful for you, though. Lost sinner, this is fearful for you. Look at what else the Bible says about our God. Psalm 7, verses 11 through 13 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. He is holy and he is righteous and he cannot tolerate sin. All sin is against this holy God. Do you see the wrath that awaits you, unbeliever, for your sin? Exodus 34 where God revealed himself to Moses, says this, God will by no means clear the guilty. As Hannah says, actions are weighed by him, and Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give an account. Unbeliever, you must give an account to God. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, as he said. He will weigh your actions, and you will be found condemned, hanging in the balance. Unbeliever, are you poor in spirit? Do you see your need for salvation? Listen, there's good news for you. Listen to what else God has said about himself in Exodus 34. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's forgiving of iniquity and transgressions and sin. Unbeliever, God forgives iniquity. How, you say? I thought he will not leave the guilty unpunished. It's through his own son, Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect sinless life went to the cross as a substitute, the righteous one for the unrighteous, a sacrifice for sinners, and he died taking the full wrath of God for all the sins of anyone who would repent and place their faith in Jesus. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and now he commands everyone everywhere to turn from their sins and place their faith in Jesus for promised eternal life. Through faith alone, you are forever his child, and he will never forsake you. 
He is our rock. He's unchangeable. My unbelieving friend, this can be you today. You who are poor in spirit, this gospel is for you. The kingdom of heaven is for you. As Hannah rejoices in God for her deliverance from shame through a son, you can rejoice in him for your deliverance from death and sin. You can rejoice with Hannah in God and be a child of his forever. Turn from your sin, I plead with you, and believe in the promise of eternal life is yours. If you have any more questions about that, please find Pastor Cody or anybody here. They'd be glad to talk with you or meet with you. Let's continue now to our third point. The purposes and sovereignty of God in all things. Verses 4 through 5. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. There's a great upheaval taking place here. The author of 1 Samuel is declaring the fates of the proud and the humble. Penina, the proud, is humbled. And Hannah, the humble, is exalted. And who has done this? It is our immovable and shakable Yahweh who has done this. No one, as Cody said, can thwart his plans. The Lord has humbled the proud and he has exalted the humble. The Lord is sovereign and we are not. He confounds the arrogance of men. The greatest of men, the most powerful of men, and the most wise of all men, they are nothing before the greatness and power and wisdom of Almighty God. The bows of the mighty are broken and those who were full suffer want. He shames the proud by using the most impossible, the most destitute means, even as a a barren womb. Why though? God is removing from man any reason to boast in themselves. He is demonstrating that he is completely, utterly, and totally independent from man and does not need their help to accomplish his purposes. He's doing this to uh, demonstrate his indomitable power to those who would trust in him. Beloved, our God is all-powerful. Even the most desperate situations... The most impossible situations God can reverse in an instant. In Hannah's case, she was barren her entire life. Are there people you know today that are the impossible? They'll never change, you think. Is there sin in your life or your loved ones where you think, they'll never change or I'll never change? Christian, they can. By God's grace, he saved you. God did the impossible and took your heart of stone out, gave you a heart of flesh. So believer, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in faithful, steadfast prayer to our omnipotent God. Don't grow weary in doing good and reaching out to that person who you think is impossible. Keep entrusting your efforts and petitions to God. So this is a good point to stop and ask if, believer, are you poor in spirit or are you proud? Do you know something of the hopelessness that you have apart from Christ? Do you know God like Hannah does? 
Beloved, that's good if you do, if you feel that way. God delights, God delights in the humble child of faith who is constantly casting himself on the Lord Jesus, pleading for forgiveness, asking for greater manifestations of his work in them, who's broken over their sin and their apathy towards God. Believer, God is never tired of you. He is never tired of you. He will never reject you. He beckons you to come and cast yourself at his feet. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. God says in Zephaniah three seventeen that he takes great delight in you and that he rejoices over you with singing. Unbeliever, God says in Luke 16 that there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What does Jesus promise the poor in spirit in Matthew 5, 3? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Broken, humbled, saint, the kingdom of heaven is yours. He loves the contrite heart and broken spirit. Psalm fifty-one seventeen says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart he will not despise. This is King David saying this after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband. And God forgave him all his sin. You may be asking how. It's because the blood of Jesus is that powerful. Jesus, the anointed one of God, came as the suffering servant. And Jesus' shed blood on the cross satisfied the wrath of God and cleansed David of this sin. David was a child of God. There is no sin, no one too foregone to be saved or forgiven. Believer, your union with God is sealed in the finished work of Christ. Forever, the moment that you turned from sin, you placed your faith in Jesus. You are forever clothed in Christ's righteousness. He is sovereign in your salvation, and you are precious in his sight. Let's continue reading in verses 6 through 8. Listen to what Hannah sings. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Remember Hannah's words earlier in verse 1? That my heart exults in the Lord. Listen now to what she says again. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. He makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. This is the same God that she is rejoicing in. He has not changed. As teacher and theologian R.C. Sproul says, if there is one maverick molecule in all the universe, then God is not sovereign. And if God is not sovereign, then he is not God. We cannot rely in the promises of a God who changes and who, who does not have complete control. Even in the death of a loved one, terrorist attacks, tsunamis and tornadoes, 
My God would never do that. That's not my God. You might be asking. It's difficult due to our limited sinful minds to make sense of all these things. As the creature, we cannot stand in judgment of our creator. He is all wise, we are not. He is all good, we are not. He is all powerful, we are not. He is all knowing, and we are not. Beloved, our good and perfect God is in control and Jesus is reigning. Ephesians 1.11 says that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. And we know that his will is good and that it's perfect. He even used the greatest evil to bring about the greatest good. Acts 2.23 describes the God-ordained murder of his son on the cross so that he may rise again in victory and save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. How can I say that he works all things for his good and our, our good and for his glory? I can say that because of Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. But how does that possibly involve my pain? How does that involve what I've been through? You might be asking, and I ask that too. Again, I I direct you to God's word. His truth is there and it's sufficient. To the word in verse 28, all. All things God works together for good for those who love him. Beloved, I don't know I don't know your individual situations. I don't pretend to stand up here and say that I've got all of the tragedies of life figured out. And all that you need is a Romans 8.28 silver bullet. That's it. I'm not not saying that. But what I can offer you is this and what I do know. That our God is our perfect heavenly father. He eternally cares for us and he will never, he will never forsake us. He never lies. His promises are sure. He is unchanging and he works all things for our good and for his glory. Because he loves you. He loves you. Beloved, listen to what else Hannah sings here. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Remember, this song, this new prayer, this came after her affliction. An affliction that we see in chapter 1 verse 5 tells us that it's from the Lord. The Lord closed her womb. Do you remember the death of Jesus' friend, Lazarus? John 11? What does John say after hearing that he passed away from his illness? This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Believer, that tragedy that he has let into your life, 
that heartbreak you're experiencing, that inner turmoil that you're experiencing, that broken relationship, the suffering you're experiencing for righteousness sake. He's ordained this affliction so that as you suffer through it, you will glorify the Son as you demonstrate to the world and your brothers and sisters, Jesus is my supreme treasure and God is good. He does all things well. That's what Cody said in Mark. He has lifted me up from the ash heap to make me sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. All the earth is his. Oh, Father, you are sovereign, the Lord of human pain, transmuting earthly sorrows to gold of heavenly gain, all evil overruling as none but conqueror could. Your love pursues its purposes, our soul's eternal good. That's what we sang this morning. He's let this affliction in because he loves you. He wants to make you like Jesus. And he wants you to delight supremely in him. Take heart knowing that this light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all measure. That his grace is sufficient for you. And that he's working all things for your utmost good for his glory. God's sovereignty in all things also includes the securing of our salvation, and that brings us to our fourth point. God's sovereignty over all things assures the perseverance of our faith and the preservation of our souls. Let's look in verses 9 through 10. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So God preserves his people. He guards the feet of their faith. And if you are believing and repenting today, take heart. God is at work in you to keep you unto the day of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus, the good shepherd, says in John ten twenty seven: My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We are in the hand of Jesus, in the hand of the Father. And nothing and no one will ever be able to pluck us from that. Listen to, listen to this passage. Paul in Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
It's just as we sang earlier. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Nothing will ever separate us. A barren womb, enemies, hunger, thirst, death. Beloved, your salvation is secure. It's secure in Jesus. He secured it through his propitiatory sacrifice on the cross. He absorbed the wrath for your sins in your place. And he died taking the penalty for your sin. And he rose again on your behalf so that your union to God through faith alone and Christ alone will never be broken. Not even by your sin. It's finished, he said. It's done. Listen, this Jesus, God's king and anointed one, he's reigning today. He's going to come again on the day of judgment, not like how he first arrived, humbly in a manger. He's going to come with a trumpet blast and will judge the ends of the earth, as our text says, dashing his enemies like pots into pieces. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. Hannah exalts in her God, the God that redeems her life from the ash heap, as she is looking forward to justice in the reign of her king. And as do we. Our horn in Christ is exalted, and all of the Lord's adversaries will be dashed to pieces on that day, and every wrong will be made right. Perfect justice will be dealt, and as Hannah wiped the tears of sorrow from her eye at the birth of her son, so too will Christ wipe away every tear from ours. Finally, the end of verse 11 says, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Beloved, remember the words of the angel Gabriel in Luke 1 to the Virgin Mary. Jesus will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary's barren cousin, Elizabeth, by a miracle of God, answers her prayer, opens her womb, and she conceives a child, John. And Mary, in response to the joy of Elizabeth's child, just like Hannah, sings a song of praise to God, saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. God answered the prayer of his barren servant Hannah. God answered the prayer of his barren servant Elizabeth. The boy born to Hannah, Samuel, the final judge, was dedicated to the Lord and would anoint David the king, through whom, through which Jesus, the son of the Most High, comes. The boy born to Elizabeth, John the Baptist, was dedicated to the Lord as the one to prepare the way For Jesus to sit on the throne of his father David to reign for all eternity. God uses the weak and the destitute, the impossible, a barren womb, to glorify his power and to strengthen the faith of his children and encourage his bride. Through the barren womb, the utterly impossible, God has freely, omnipotently given us himself for his glory and our greatest good. So in closing, I want to pose to you again the question I asked in the beginning. Who or what is your heart's 
supreme ruling desire. Would you exult in him as Hannah does if your prayers or these desires weren't met? Though the nations rage and though your life be like one that's amongst lions, will your heart still exult in the greatest gift, that of knowing him and being loved by him and being his child through faith? So may I submit to you this, beloved. God always answers prayer. Not always in the way that we want. His silence is an answer. His granting is an answer. And his withholding is an answer. And he does this all for his glory and our greatest good. When God does graciously answer our prayers, either in the granting or withholding of our petitions, may our hearts be grounded in the love of God as Hannah's heart was, overflowing with thankfulness to him in all circumstances. Because he is good, he's our rock. May we keep our eyes on him who floods our weaknesses with strength and causes fears to fly. May we keep our eyes on him whose every promise is enough for every step that we take. He crowns us with love and grace. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we rejoice in who you are. You are lovely to us because you've taken out our hearts of stone, given us hearts of flesh. You withhold no good thing from us. Your word is sufficient. You are mighty. You are powerful in our salvation. You are mighty in our perseverance of faith. And you will keep us until the day of Christ's return. Thank you for this time, Lord. I ask that it would change our hearts this morning. And that you would bless our time the rest of the week and in worship of song. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.